Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories, seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. You can visit rachelcarmen.com to join her online community of moms who are taking the dare to be in the word themselves as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. While you're there, be sure to sign up for updates, and you will also receive a free gift from Rachel when you sign up. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey, moms. It's so good to be with you today. I was just sitting here. I wish y'all could see my desk today, so... I am piled around with books and reference materials and notes that are highlighted and full of arrows, and I would love to say that what I have to say to you and share with you each time we're together just comes out of my head in the same order that I deliver it to you, but I am just too blind for that, and so I wrestle through what the Lord lays on my heart to try to present it to you in some sort of an order that will make sense to both of us at some point. Anyway, I was looking at my notes and just as the intro was going, I lost my place in my Bible. So I'm here um, trying to get back over to the passage we're going to look at today and find a way to keep, here we'll do this, to keep my place in two different places. So yeah, I'm so happy to be with you today. I am full of energy and excitement as I am characteristically any time we get together and talk about the goodness of God and His Word. And today we are jumping in with the M&M for October, which is Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to remind you that the whole point of this M&M idea is that we take time to meditate and marinate and, dare I say, memorize God's word so that we are changed from the inside out, right? That is the opportunity we have. Having been given God's word written for us, we have the opportunity to spend time in it so that we can become transformed by the renewing of our hearts and our minds as we meditate and marinate and memorize God's word. It is key. So often we want to become what God has declared us to be, right? We want to be more patient and kind and loving and generous and gracious. And yet we are not doing our part. We are not taking time to be in God's word. And so that's what this time is about. Every month I've chosen a passage for us to meditate and marinate and memorize And so this month's passage that I'm challenging you to do that with is Hebrews chapter 4. And as you jump in with us on this journey of M&Ms, one of the reasons I chose M&M as a sign for this study time is I have had the pleasure and the honor of traveling internationally in most instances to speak to groups of moms and women about the good news of Jesus Christ and often homeschooling. And as I've traveled, M&Ms are pretty international. They're my favorite chocolate candy. And as I've seen them all the way around the world, it reminds me of 
the power and the international need for the good news of Jesus Christ. And M&Ms are something that we see around often. And I want to redeem M&Ms, right? I want every time you see them to think about the goodness of God's word. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And so I want to remind you that even better than chocolate candies is the word of God. And we need to take time again to marinate meditate and memorize God's word. So our passage for this month is Hebrews 4. I want to challenge you to get out your Bible and you need to adopt a version that you will study, one that you will learn from and memorize in. Um, My study Bible is the NASB. That's the translation that I prefer, although I have done quite a bit of memorization in both King James and the NIV, the New International Version. The ESV has also become quite um, valuable and popular, and that's actually the study Bible that I'm using today that I may reference a couple of times. But it's important that you have a translation and a Bible that you'll actually study. Now, I study two ways. I like to study... In my Bible, I am a book marker. I really love to get my my pens and my highlighters and my pencil and mark up even uh, classic literature that I read. That's just one of the ways that I learn is marking. And I know for some of you that is that's actually heresy to think that you would mark in a book. But that's what I do. And I want to encourage you that to mark up the scripture passage that we're studying, whether you actually mark in your Bible, which is what I do, or in addition to marking in my Bible, I also like to make use of the online Bible tool, Bible Gateway, and I look at passages and I actually print them out so that I can also mark up even more thoroughly than I am able to do in my Bible Also, there are several journaling Bibles that I believe were created for this purpose also so that we can actually dig into God's Word and dig out the nuggets that are there. I want to dare you, don't read over it. Read it. Dive in. Dig in. Lean in. Seek God as you are reading His Word so that you will understand what it is that He has to teach and and to tell you. Now, as we study a passage for a a whole month and wherever you're jumping in, I would encourage you to read it several times during that period of time so that the more you read it, right, the more you're going to see, the more you're going to hear, the more the Spirit of the living God is going to speak to you. So don't just read it once and go, well, that was good, but actually dare to come back to it over and over. That's actually why I choose one passage for the whole month so that you can really literally marinate in it, right? Literally sit in it and say, okay, God, what is here? Now, I do realize that the danger of me lifting a chapter out of an entire book and suggesting that that's our Eminem passage is itself um, questionable at best because it's difficult to take a whole chapter out of the context of the book and really get all there is to get out of it. So I'm going to make a further dare to you, and that is that you would read the entire book of Hebrews at some point this month in October 
And so that you can see this specific passage in context, because it does matter. Another tool for study that I'd like to suggest to you is the Talk Through the Bible by Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Boa. It is an outstanding reference tool for the study of God's Word. It gives you outlines, uh, important information about the context and the author. It's just an invaluable tool. I use it alongside of my uh, ESV study Bible, so both of those. And I also really enjoy my NASB with all of the cross-referencing tools that it has. So wherever you're jumping in, if maybe that's a little too much for you, you just want to stick to reading the straight text, great. Welcome. I'm still going to dare you to go deeper. Some of you are going to want to cross-reference everything you can get your hands on and read the passage in several different translations. Awesome. The point is that you're getting in somewhere and that you're advancing beyond where you are today or where you were last week, right? That's the goal, not to settle, but to go forward. And so I wanted to say also, the main reason I chose this passage is because I find that so often as moms, specifically women, moms, we waver, right? Life circumstances, challenges, our marriages, child rearing, the responsibilities we have, the ministries that we carry out. Sometimes we just, we are wavering. We're like, okay, wait, what are we doing and why are we doing this? Sometimes our confidence then, right, takes a hit and we're, we get criticized or we fail and we all fail. We come face to face with the fact that we're human. And in general, I find that women are just pretty universally tired. And so I wanted to do this passage, this verse, uh, this chapter in Hebrews today, because I believe it speaks to both of those things, the issue of confidence and the issue of rest. Both of them are handled in this one chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, a couple of things in terms of context, I cannot exhaustively set this in context, so I'll challenge you to do that as you have time. But the Whole book of Hebrews, we are not sure who wrote it. There's a little bit of controversy. It's actually not attributed to anybody within the book, as so many other books of Scripture actually says who the author is within the book. This one, the author is actually unknown. It does have a Pauline feel to it, although most scholars don't believe Paul himself wrote it, perhaps a close associate of Paul's. Some people believe it was Apollos, but the bottom line is we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews is such a rich book, and I do commend it to you for further study. One of the main themes in the book of Hebrews, the the main overriding point is Jesus is better. Jesus is better, and there are nine things that are outlined, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. And again, I would challenge you to go back and study this on your own. There are several studies that you can go much deeper into the book of Hebrews on. But in short run, Jesus is better than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses. He is the best high priest. He's better than Abraham, better than the Levitical priesthood. Better, He has a better covenant. He is a better tabernacle, and he is the the better sacrifice. So again, quick rundown of the nine betters that Jesus Christ is that are outlined in the book of Hebrews. So we actually jump in. Chapter 4 is after the first three of those betters. Jesus is 
better than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses. Okay. So we're jumping in in chapter four, where there's the discussion of Jesus being the supreme high priest. And that really, really does matter. Look, Jesus is our strength and weakness. When we face our failures, when we met, when we come face to face with our mistakes and our humanity, we can know that he is our strength in weakness. He is all sufficient. He is the victor. And these are the things that bolster our confidence, not our ability right? Not our ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps or do better next time, right? But our confidence is in Christ, in the victory that he's already won. That's where our confidence has to lie, right? Our confidence has to be based on what he's already done, not what yet needs to be done, but what he has already done done. And I love that truth about that this passage today. So I want to jump in and look at several things with you about this passage. It's just remarkable um, how it is laid out. So I want to start with this idea. It is faith that grants entry into the believer's rest. Mom, is rest something that sounds really good to you today? I got to tell you, um, I'm speaking to you today from an empty nest. We have graduated all seven and we have launched all seven. I have seven kids in five different states and it is really quiet here. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in future episodes. But I just want to say that I remember the days when rest was completely and totally elusive, when it just seemed absolutely impossible to be able to sleep well because someone was always getting up, right? Or I had teenagers who wanted to stay up and talk. So the rest thing, I felt like I was perpetually tired and exhausted. But the rest that God is offering that is available to us far exceeds any kind of physical rest, right? And I get access to that through my faith. See, my rest has already been won at the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. That is the rest that has already been achieved for me. And yet, and yet, there is a not yet component. In other words, I already can have this rest now, but one day upon his return, There will be the restoration of all things, and I will, as a believer in Christ Jesus, enter into an eternal rest with him. So there's this already not yet component of this rest that we're offered in this passage today, and it's so powerful to look at. In this passage we're looking at today, there are references back to the Old Testament, and I just need to do a little bit of review for you so that it will make sense when you're reading this passage. So you'll remember that in the Old Testament, God's people were oppressed in Egypt under Pharaoh for about 400 years until God called a man named Moses to go to Pharaoh And say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Moses was God's 
chosen man to go in and confront Pharaoh so that God's people could enter into God's rest, are you with me, which would have been a physical location known as the promised land. So God sends Moses, and through a series of events, we know it's the ten plagues, and you can go back and read the whole narrative in Exodus. Through a series of the plagues, God shows off who he is and how mighty he is over all of creation, and Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then he relents, and hardens his heart, and then he relents. And we go through this whole thing over and over and over until finally, after the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh relents and sends the people out, and Moses leads the people out. Now, one thing that you need to remember before I get onto these examples is God has shown off not just to Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians' people that he is God, but his own people have witnessed all of these signs and wonders that God has done. The Israelites, the Hebrews themselves, have witnessed what God has done. God leads them out, and they come to the Red Sea, and even here. So you can argue that all the plagues were for Pharaoh and the Egyptians and also for God's people, but you get to the edge of the Red Sea, and this is like completely for God's people, right? They get to the edge of the Red Sea where God himself led them, and God parts the Red Sea. It is almost as if God was like, you thought that was amazing? The ten plagues, you thought that was remarkable? Watch this. And he parts the Red Sea, and they go through on dry land. And you know me. You know I want to sit here and talk about this more, but I've got to fast forward. The important thing is God has already shown himself mighty and glorious and powerful and sovereign, right, over all things, over all things. And yet, on the other side of the Red Sea parting, of their safe passage through, and of, shall I add, of the destruction of their enemies, Pharaoh and all of his army are destroyed when they come into the Red Sea and and God puts the water back over them and they are all drowned. So not only do they escape through the waters of the Red Sea, through the the waterbed, right, on safely on dry land. But God destroys their enemies also. And there is great rejoicing on the other side of the Red Sea, right, by God's people. And yet, even after all of that, even after all of that, not far, not long after that, we have grumbling and complaining. Now, Here's another piece of homework you could dare to take me up on, and that is going back and studying in the books of Exodus and in Numbers of God's people who have witnessed the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, the instances where, again, they lean in and participate in grumbling and complaining. It's true. They have seen all of this. They have seen God's wonders and his glory and his signs. And even they come to witness his provision of manna and meat and water in the wilderness. And time after time after time after time, they still complain. And here's our first lesson for today. What has God already done for you? 
How has he already shown off to you, shown himself mighty, shown himself sovereign, shown himself reliable and faithful? And yet, you and I lean into grumbling and complaining because we do what they did. We forget what he has already done. We forget who he is. And that's the danger. And so as we look at our passage today in Hebrews 4, we have to lay Hebrews 4 alongside Psalm 95. And here is a glorious thing that you should never, 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 never forget. The Bible itself is 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, telling one story. Nothing contradicts itself. It is all complementary. It all works together, is masterfully, sovereignly, providentially woven together to tell one story, and that is the love of the God of the universe for all people through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who came and paid our sin debt, a price we could not pay on the cross of Calvary, and was resurrected on the third day, defeating death, and will one day come again. That's the story of the Bible in 66 books, all complementing. So today, when we get to chapter 4 of Hebrews, it ought not surprise us that we get to see this overlaid with Psalm 95 and Exodus 17 and Numbers 14. All of those scriptures come together and complement each other. So take time and look at these. Specifically, if we look at, at Psalm 95, the first seven verses of this psalm admonish readers to worship, to fear the Lord. This passage is going to be familiar to you. Let me read to you from the from the word of God. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth and the peaks of the mountains. The sea is his, for he it is he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Do you hear that worship? Do you hear that plea, that call, that urgency to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords? That's verses 1 through 7. But then... Almost abruptly, starting in verse 8, there's this warning. There's this warning. And I'm going to tie this together with um, chapter 4 of Hebrews in just a minute. Just hang with me. It really does It really does connect because it also goes back to Exodus 17. Here in verse 8, the psalmist writes, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and they tried me. Though they had seen my work. Remember what I just told you? These were the people of God who God had delivered. He had shown off in signs and wonders we know as the ten plagues. He had parted the Red Sea. He provided for their every single need beyond what they could ask or imagine. 
But as a result of their rebellion, their grumbling and complaining, continuing on in verse 10 of Psalm 95, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they will not enter my rest. See, here is a a psalm that the first half of it is worship, 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 acknowledge who God is, acknowledge what he's done, and then a warning, look, worship him, don't doubt him, don't question him, don't test him, remember what he's done. He is a good God. He is a great God, worthy of your worship, worthy of your remembrance of how he has provided in the past, trusting that he will provide as you go forward. That is the power and the beauty of this passage. So now you're wondering when I'm going to get to our text, and I'm going to get to it right now. So as you print out your passage or you look in your word, I want you to notice how many times we have references to God. So there's a, a phrase in this passage, my rest or his rest, referring to God himself three times. A mention of my wrath, his work, God's work, two times. His voice and his sight. What I want you to see here as you see these phrases in this one chapter, that the word of God is about God. There are far too many churches today who want the gospel to be a man-centered gospel. And you need to remember that this message of God, of his word, of the 66 books woven together, it's a message about who God is and what God has done and an invitation to you and me to be a part of what he's done because it is first and foremost about him. It's about him. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Another thing I want you to note in this passage is the word therefore and the phrase let us. And we're going to use those two words as our outline as we get into the meat of this passage today. So I've got five points based on the five therefores and the combination of the four let us phrases. And I've made the joke in the past when I've taught through Hebrews 12 that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews must have loved salad. In the book of Hebrews, through the whole thing, there are actually 12 let us phrases, and they are worth noting and um, studying and and carrying out. So number one, let us, uh, therefore, <clears throat> let us fear that some might miss this rest. So the author of Hebrews is here at the very first vo- verse, Uh, 4 verse 1 he says therefore let us fear that some might miss this rest in other words the author is saying God has extended to us an invitation to enter his rest let us be mindful lest some of us miss it and I just want to say to you don't miss this rest this is The rest that the world is chasing after, in the words of Solomon, chasing after the wind for this rest, for this hope, right, that we have in the goodness of God. We have the rest, the hope that the world is looking for, and we need to not forget that. We need to faithfully enter into it by taking hold of it, 
but we also need to invite others to enter into it and take hold of it. Number two, our second therefore. Therefore, we need to remember how it is that some missed the rest. If we look back over then into verse number six, it says that there are some who still need to enter the rest, but the problem is they're living in disobedience. They're living in disobedience. Now, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 17, and then again, it's several times in Exodus, actually. I think it's 16 and 17, and maybe even a couple of other times, but then also over in the book of Numbers in chapter 13 and 14, the disobedience was illustrated in the people's grumbling and complaining. Instead of remembering what God had done and who he was and how he had provided, they forgot. And they grumbled and they complained against God and against Moses and Aaron. And that is disobedience. Moms, we must ourselves be obedient to God and not be in the practice of grumbling and complaining. We must practice trusting and obeying, and we must train our children against grumbling and complaining. It's disobedience. We need to level up raise the standard in our children and not allow them to grumble and complain. And we've got to guard our own hearts against it because it is exactly that kind of disobedience that keeps us out of the rest that God invites us to and has provided us for. Therefore, number three is found in verse 11. It's combined with let us. Here it says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter this rest. I love this passage, and you'll notice it's the center of the five therefores we have in this passage. Let us be diligent. In this, he is saying to us, let us be determined. Let us be resolved to enter into this rest. And how do we do that? We make a choice. Mom, you and I, have a choice to make. Are we going to trust God or not? That's the choice. And again, we see in the Old Testament, the people of God that Moses led out of the promised land, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of oppression, headed toward the promised land. And yet, and yet, they failed to trust. How do we see that in their grumbling and their complaining? See, trust is, is, is not something that we can keep to ourselves because trust is always displayed by our behavior. That's why in Scripture and in the great old hymn, the combination of trust and obey goes together. Trust is an issue of the heart. Obedience is how it plays out in our lives. Are we going to trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding? In all our ways, acknowledge Him and he will direct our path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, admonishes us, don't trust in yourself. Trust in God, in God alone. And as we make the decision, as we choose to trust, our actions will be obedient. They will be. This lifestyle of trusting and obeying is faith expressed. And that's what it looks like to be diligent to enter into the rest. 
Therefore, number four is found back over in verse 14. Therefore, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, here it is, let us hold fast to our confession. So the writer of Hebrews here is saying, since we know that Jesus is our great high priest, since we know that he came down from heaven to be with us, Emmanuel. Let us hold fast. Let us remember what our confession is. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Hold fast to that. Don't let it go. Don't take it for granted, but hold fast to it. And therefore, number five is also connected to it. Let us, therefore, he says, Let us draw near, how? With confidence. We draw near to God with confidence based on what? Who Jesus Christ is. The fact that he came. The fact that he's our high priest. The fact that he's paid our sin penalty price. That's our confidence. It's not based on you and me, mom. It's not based on our careers. It's not based on anything that you and I do. It's not based on anything that we achieve. It's based on who Jesus Christ is and what he's already done. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may, two things, note these two things, receive mercy, forgiveness. And number two, find grace to help in our time in need. Moms, I have only begun to squeeze out all that is in Hebrews chapter 4. I encourage you to spend time with this word, to read it over and over and over. Let it wash you. Let it grow you. Let it make you and mold you more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you listeners for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening. And while you are there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This just helps us to get the message out to other moms that need to be encouraged in their roles as mothers today. If you have a question, we invite you to send it to rachelcarmen.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, you can access Rachel's wonderful resources and real refreshment, the online community. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. I hope you will join us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.